One of our number one core values at our company is give a shit. And it's not just give a shit about me or my company, it's give a shit about every company that we work with because at the origin of those companies was a story just like ours. Welcome to the National Podcast of Texas. This week's show is brought to you by our friends at Frost Bank who ask we opt for optimism. They've got their own series of conversations under the banner of the Texas Optimism Project at texasmonthly.com. I'm Andy Langer. At just 33, J.B. Saucida, he's already a good old-fashioned Texas multi-hyphenate. He's a photographer, author, entrepreneur, aviator, and humorist. Two weeks ago, the Bullock Texas State History Museum opened its Texas From Above exhibit. That showcases Saucida's super ambitious aerial photography project, where he flew a single-engine Cessna documenting the 3,822 miles of Texas borders, tracing the state's perimeter for a Texas Monthly commissioned effort. It was featured on our May 2017 issues cover and spawned last year's coffee table stunner, A Mile Above Texas. Sosita's also the co-founder of TexasHumor.com, an apparel company that does bonkers business selling smart, funny Texas t-shirts and paraphernalia, and he runs Sosita Industries an e-commerce fulfillment company that handles logistics for other e-retailers. He's also the author of Y'all, The Definitive Guide to Being a Texan. This is J.B. Saucida. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you've got a podcast Mm -hmm. that for your business only airs internally? Yeah, so, uh, you know, our our company name is, um, we just went with the legal name, which was Saucida Industries, and so... Uh, a lot of our clients will call us the sauce. And so we started this one called on the sauce and it's really just interviews with our employees and opportunity to kind of like dig in with them a little bit about who they are, what they do, what their background is. Cause you know, um, we're in the logistics business. I mean, we have retail and all the other stuff that we do, but like a big base of our, our employees are, you know, it's like either entry level or like slightly after entry level type positions, a few others, you know, you kind of move up. And so you really have people who are, this is earlier in their career. So their backgrounds may be like service industry, or they may have been, we've got one guy, Mike, who was in the oil fields, you know, and so a lot of differing backgrounds. Um, So it's, it's just kind of fun to get to let people talk about something that they might not otherwise bring up at work. But to be clear, only the rest of the company can hear this podcast. Yeah, if you knew where the link was on on SoundCloud, you could find it. Um, but yeah, we uh, we have it set up, and and we we're purposefully not trying to like flout our people. It really is like a self serving purpose. I mean, it, it we we record it, share it to our internal you know internet, and everybody will kind of listen to it. And um, you know, our warehouses in particular are set up in a way and they're sort of the antithesis of what you see at some of these bigger logistics companies. And um, most of those places, there's just no music, there's nothing going on. It's like you hear fans and people pushing carts around. So at our shop, a lot of music's going, kind of keeping it lively. And so whenever a new episode comes out, they'll normally blast it over the, the loudspeakers and people will kind of listen in on what their coworkers are up to. You've told me before at both the logistics company and Texas Humor, mm-hmm. which grew out of a Twitter account, right, that you're doing things your way because you don't know any better, or at least yeah. initially. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the weird things, other than an internal podcast, that makes working for you different right away? You know, I like, it, it's funny. Like, I, I just feel like culture is this sort of word that means a lot of things to a lot of people. If You, you know, depending on your company you work at, you know, uh, employers and, like, executives kind of gauge 
uh, the performance of the the organization by like engagement. Like, how engaged are your people? At our company, like we think about it that way. Like, it's important for us to know like are people engaged with the work. But you know, I'll tell you something that was super funny. Like, I, I had an employee this morning tell me boldface, like, if I did my job that I do for you anywhere else, it would suck. You know, he's like, I'm opening boxes and closing boxes like all day. But the culture is like what makes it a lot of fun. And so, you know, I remember back in probably 2005, I had just wrapped, well, I was still working. Um, it was actually just before I got hired on with the Butler Bros here in Austin. And I was trying to get into the-, the Who were an agency. Who was an agency, yeah. So an ad agency here in Austin and, and really helped me cut my teeth there. I was looking around and, and you know, I'd gone to school for economics and, and um, history and or uh, political science. And didn't know what I wanted to do with myself, but had sort of a creative uh, edge. And this woman gave me a tour of the GSDNM office downtown, which is another ad agency here. And I was just so blown away. Like I'd been used to going to, you know, my dad's office in the steel industry or these other sort of professional environments. And that was really my first experience going into a really cool, fun working environment. And I remember walking around seeing all the murals and just thinking like, wait, so this is where people work? Like, this is crazy. This is amazing. And, you know, luckily my career, you know, between the Butler Bros and a few other things that happened, I ended up getting to spend time in the creative world on the advertising side. And that was what I was used to, you know, like at the Butler Bros, we would listen to music. And, you know, this designer that worked there, Dustin Coffee, had this killer, you know, uh, album collection. So we'd put music on all the time. And, um, you know, got to go out to lunch together and just, it, it was just like a really fun, lively experience. And, and a lot of what I'd heard was that like, well, you know, we create these environments that are sort of meant to be kind of inspirational because good ideas come out of like kind of a relaxed mind. So, you know, we started the retail business through Texas humor. And again, like it was sort of just literally a, a just a joke to start that. But as it grew, every decision we made around building the organization around it was just kind of like, well, let's just do it this way because this is what I'm used to doing, you know? So the sort of culture of Salceda in a large part kind of came from just, that's what I like. But you know, it also in big, in a big way, the way that we've scaled that is that my wife Priscilla is like a major like corporate culture advocate. And so, um, she does these really funny things. Like we've got a, um, we've got these, uh, do you remember, like those bingo cards with the red plastic sliders. Yeah, so it was like for like a travel version right. where it was license plates. Yeah, the states and you when you were on a road trip, you, you would, would say, slide I saw that it one. over. Yeah, exactly. So we had one of those made uh, by this gentleman here in town uh, named Stu, who uh, made some with a uh, with a laser uh, cutter. And so your first week at our company, you kind of play like a little bingo game on like our corporate values and things that you might have seen or something you might have done. Um, I do this thing where your first your first week at the company, I make you stand in front of everybody and tell us where you've been, something good you have going on in your week, and um, and you know what what you did uh, previous to starting here. And um, you know it's just it's funny. It's like they, to me they just feel like common sense things. It's like treat people like human beings. You're not a number. You know, celebrate the wins. Like our team meeting today, it was like at eight or like eleven forty-five, and we're wrapping it up. And one of the guys raises his hand and and wanted to let everybody in the room know that one of our other employees closed on his house. And it was like the whole room like erupted into you know clap or applause. So I don't know. It's 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 a lot of really little seemingly like I say them out loud right now. I'm like oh it's kind of a silly thing, but 
it's the cu cumulative effort of all those little silly things that kind of add up to people feeling like they work for a big family, you know, and they like really own it. So where you're from, I mean, even the way you dress now, this mm -hmm. cowboy thing. Yeah. How is that not inconsistent mm -hmm. with the world you've now created for yourself? <laughs> in yeah. that, in that, if you are impressed by murals yeah. at GSDNM and airplanes hanging from the wall at GSDNM, and then we have this just the words corporate culture and just the right. words fulfillment center, yeah, are in contrast to all that, yeah. Yet you're running them, I guess, with this. Texas work ethic. Mm -hmm. Does that does that question make any sense? No, it totally does. I mean, I think it. Um, you know, anyone who works for us can attest to the fact that I love speaking in metaphors, and so to me, what we're doing at the company is not a lot, not all that different than running a ranch or cattle drive, right? It's like you've got a chain of command. You've got people with very different responsibilities. Um, you know, we always used to like, I'd do the big, uh, trilling with chili cook off in West Texas and we'd take a chuck wagon out there every year. And, you know, it's come up a lot. Like, you know, who's the, who's the, you know, trail boss, who's the person, you know, like running the chuck wagon, that kind of stuff. And, and the cook is this really unique person that would come up a lot that, you know, the cook was typically this older person rode with the chuck wagon, got to spend the time setting up the camp. The cowboys went out and they were out, you know, gathering the horses up or all the, you know, cattle up or whatever. And at the end of the day, they'd come back and the cook, you know, would feed them. And comparatively speaking to being in saddle all day, you know, the cook seems like they've got the easiest job in the shade and, and what have you. But they were really the one that kind of kept the groups together. And so when the cowboys would sit around and, and write their poetry or read their poetry that they wrote maybe throughout the day, um, or eat dinner or whatever, like this older person was, you know, kind of um, bestowing knowledge on them and really keeping the, the team tight. And we talk about that idea at our, our company a lot, like the, the it's really, you know, you can be cowboy, or you can be whatever, like it doesn't mean that you don't work together as a team and you don't have to feel compelled to try to keep people inspired. This is just my style, like I just prefer, I like cowboy culture, I love what it stands for, I love what it represents in our state. But I'm also a pilot, and you know, like today, I used an explanation for how barometric pressure is incorporated into knowing how high you are, and the fact that air traffic control calls out what the barometric pressure is wherever you're flying, so that way you always have a steady hand on like how high am I, and I was drawing that line to the fact that like at some point, I'm sure everyone at our company gets annoyed by the fact that I talk about culture so damn much, you know, so. It you know whether it's cowboying or flying or something else like I just I find inspiration in a lot of places I just happen to really like wearing a Stetson you know that's kind of the the where it ends I, it's not like I ride a horse to school or or to work rather or anything like that as much as I wish I could uh, you know it's just it's a different kind of waste I don't want to deal with so are we at an interesting place Texas maybe tech business wise where there's guys like you or even Ferris and Ryan Holiday and people mm -hmm. that are thinking about culture and technique and even mind games <laughs> and how to hack and manipulate the system, but also to do a very traditional thing, in your case, processing orders and selling things. Mm -hmm. Are we in an interesting time right now where those things are colliding, particularly in Texas? I think that we're just at a really interesting time in business period. I think everybody is 
collectively, you know, as a country looking at business and its role in society and saying, what do I want to get out of it? You know, I remember when, when we were working on the operating agreement for our company and, you know, me and my wife and our partner Ross were sitting down thinking through all this stuff. Our lawyer kept, you know, reiterating, like, a contract isn't here for when you agree, it's for when you don't. So, like, you have to have the rules set for when things aren't going great. And you go back and you look at, like, all of these major economic sort of disasters or situations the country's gone through. Everybody's really happy as so long as everybody's getting paid. But the second things go south, people start pointing fingers at, like, who was screwing who, who was taking advantage of this and pillaging that or whatever. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of people like myself, like, I came into my career in 2008. It's a terrible time to leave college and try to become a freelance creative. You know, uh, talk about being at the bottom of the totem pole. And so, so much of what I think about in running our business for our, you know, 80 some odd employees is built off of what I remember it being like when I was broke and potentially going to get, you know, evicted from my apartment and all the stuff that happened in 2008. And so it's not, for me, it's nothing political. Like it's, it's purely principle. And just, I have a philosophy on like, you know, to, for, uh, to steal some words from, from the great, uh, late great Herb Kelleher, you know, we take care of our people because then they'll take care of you. And so I just feel like, you know, I've got a business, I've got an objective. And at the end of the day, that is the most important thing. But I just believe in taking care of our people because like, I'm just happier when I'm at work knowing that everybody else that works for me is happy too. And for some people, you know, it, you could consider it a mind game. But for some people, that's pay. And for some people, that's like being acknowledged. And whatever that is, however that shakes out, like we want to just create an environment where those needs are met, you know. Fundamentally, does the interest in Ain't Texas t-shirts and hats still surprise you? Yes and no. I mean, I, I, I love that. I don't that, mean uh, that particular no, line. No, but yeah, the, yeah. the kind of gear you sell. No, I mean, it's still just as funny to me. Um my, one of my employees was driving me over here, uh, dropped me off, and she um, she was like, she was driving back, I think she's, or flying back, she was in Switzerland, and she was having some trouble getting through the airport, and she said that she was concerned she was gonna miss her flight, and some guy saw her and like waved her out of like this entire group and said like, come up here and you know, gave her a spot. And he pulled her aside and he was like, oh, I saw your Texas shirt, so I figured you could use a little help. So this is over like in Switzerland, that that like commonality like played through. And I just love the idea of regionalism, you know, for as much as we talk about like it's a small world and we're all the same and whatever, like we are. And, you know, any number of these speeches that astronauts give about like us all being on this one planet together, like that's a beautiful thing and I believe it. But I also think that one of the things that is really fun is the contrast between people. And so for me, it just so happens that the color contrast that Texans have is a ton of pride based off of all the mystique and, and um, legend around Texas. And I think, you know, there's certainly people who hate it who aren't from here. But I think that it it goes just as far as like, like we all have that friend who's kind of annoying, but it's like sort of endearing that they're annoying. They may be the mooch or whatever that is, but like you still invite them everywhere because you like them. There's something that's unique and you like about them. And I sort of think about Texas in that way. It's like everybody else looks at us and they might be kind of annoyed with us, but they still like us. And there's something that's unique and, and very American about Texan culture and uh i mean shoot you go back and look at like world war ii and stuff and all the you know people in europe they called all the soldiers cowboys so there's something about the american identity that is in a way also sort of uniquely texan and so um i i look at this stuff and i think the t-shirts and the the attention that we get 
through our products is still just as fun. Like it, it's it's amazing to me that it's been. I think I sent the first tweet out in 2011, and you know we're almost 10 years in, and um, it's almost like the joke is brand new every time you hear it. You know, you just it's like, oh yeah, that's that's why I like this. You know. How much mental energy do you have to spend making sure you're on the right side of that proud? Mm. Because like, yeah, you, you don't want to be. Yeah, we don't want to be too cocky. I mean, there's like or a or xenophobic or xenophobic. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there, there's a bunch yeah. of ways that that kind of pride also goes mm-hmm. that you guys are on the right side of. Yeah, I would say it's it's still, you know, I'm not gonna say we're perfect. Because I even find myself a little bit like we kind of give the people from Oklahoma a hard time. But, uh, you know, we try to be careful about not pushing that envelope so far that people take it the wrong way. And, you know, um, there was a while, uh, you know, there was all this talk about all these, you know, Russian Facebook pages and stuff. Right. Like Texas Humor's content was actually ripped off by one of these pages. And I had a direct interaction with the people who ran it. Um, I kind of thought something was off when I was interacting with them. But they, you know, like they sort of had a motive and, and that's come out and it's been very public and there's a lot of, of research behind or investigations that have been behind it. But for Texas humor, like that bothered me just as much as like anybody who takes anything that we say about ain't Texas and turns it political. Because to me, like the ain't Texas concept and, and this, it's really about like, it's more about the fact that Texans view the world through the lens of Texas and through that lens, everything is just like a little gray um, that isn't in Texas. And, and so it, it's more about that joke and that sort of homesickness that you get, um, and less about this idea that we're better than anyone else. So we, we have to manage it. I mean, it, it's, it's for sure a thing like it, uh, w- um, in the comments on our, on some of our posts, like, you know, we get in there and people will try to say like, well, it's a bunch of these people over here that are saying this or that, or it's this political thing. And we're like, look, that has nothing to do with it. Make fun of them for being from Philadelphia if you want, but this is not a like political ideology game. Like this is really just they like wearing one type of jeans and we like a different type, and that's what's funny. You know, well, let's poke fun at that. Let's not poke fun of it at ideology. Texas humor aside, what did you learn about the border? Mm. Photographing the border from a mile above, as you did, is there something about the border itself? Mm-hmm that you learn that plays into the discussion now? I mean, I'll take it a step back from there. Um, so I get asked this question a lot because of this, you know, big aerial project and and sort of what my take on it is and stuff. And and I think that, you know, I made the comment about the astronauts earlier because I think when um, astronaut um, uh, Kelly came back from the ISS, he talked a lot about just the fact that, like, you spend any time up there and you just see everybody on this one blue dot. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Michael Sa- or of uh, Carl Sagan and um, and his pale blue dot like uh, little essay um, in that book kind of sums it up for me that it's just like it's incredible that we all live in this one place and you sort of lose track on that. Right. Uh, of that. Right. Like um, you sit in traffic and you're pissed at everybody else for being there, forgetting that you are and everybody else to someone else. And it, it's easy to feel like, you know, or to miss out on the fact that you're a cog in the machine. Um so when you're flying and you're, um, you know, I, I've been challenging people, like when you get in your next commercial flight, pay attention to everybody around you. You'll notice that everyone looks out the window for the first like minute and a half. And then they open the window in the last like three. But the rest of the time they're in their book, they're in whatever. They're kind of not really paying attention to out, out the window. And I think it's because you're almost like so far away or you're above the clouds that everything is just, it's kind of hard to tell what's happening. 
But at like five or 6,000 feet, where I spent most of the time on that project, you can still see life being lived. And you can see that one car driving on, you know, whatever random highway between whatever random no place town and the, the next. And I would just find myself over and over and over thinking like, what's going on in that person's life? And I got to view it, like view people living as like specimens almost in a way. And you end up realizing like how small we are relative just like to the landscape. And you kind of see how much of what we do is completely a byproduct of the landscape itself. And so that's the big takeaway. That's right? the big takeaway. It's just purely that we think that we've made all these calls and all these decisions. And yes, the Treaty of Hidalgo like set up that border and all right. Like that was a decision we all made, but that was partially the decision we made because there was a river that had been cutting through that area over millions of years that like created this border. Um, so, you know, I just, I feel like if more people had an opportunity to see the world in that way, they would have a better understanding that like soundbite solution making is really terrible. And there are just very, very few um, political questions that can be answered in a black and white way like that. And so um, I, I always point to Representative Hurd. You know, um, Will Hurd just, you know, he represents effectively the largest sw- stretch of the border um, of anybody. And he's the first person to tell you, like, this is a complex thing. Like, yeah, we, everybody, blue or red, is for a secure border. But go look at it and then tell me that you can solve it with one solution. Like, no one's going to agree on that. So that to me, like whether it's that solution or the border that we need to build between Texas and Oklahoma, like all of those are complex, you know, problems. Like we've got to figure out how to, you know, make fewer Oklahoma people move here. Um, and, and maybe that's just a simple, uh, you know, uh, what, what do they call it? Um, uh, intense screening of, of people from the north, you know, wh- whatever that is. It's like these are complex problems that that. You know, and smart by Oklahoma, Texas. you mean California? Uh, yeah, either or. Uh, you know, Oklahoma's cool, and California's cool too. If they're coming, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I joke about that kind of stuff all the time. But I, I feel like being Texans a mentality. It's not a place or like where you're born. You know, I mean, Davy Crockett wasn't born in Texas. Sam Houston wasn't born in Texas. Like, let's not boil that problem down to that either. You know, like, do you come here wanting to pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Do you come here wanting to contribute to the melting pot? If you answer yes to those two things, then cool here's your hat here are your boots you know um you got the hat to sell them too I've, I've got a hat i can sell them yeah yeah so looking at the book and now the exhibit at the bullock without knowing too much about the process it seems to me mm-hmm. to be flying a single engine airplane mm. even strapped with some gopros and taking pictures this seems on paper like an irresponsible project. Feels that way, yeah. Tell me about the process. Okay, so because it's got to be more complex than that. No, it, it it well, it is, and it's actually easier than that. And I I think, imagine driving down I ten and you're on a really straight stretch, you know, from here to Marfa, um, and the highway is just as straight as can be. You can take your hands off the wheel, even at 60, 70 miles an hour. Not saying it's smart, but you can take your hands off the wheel, and for the most part, it's going to typically go straight. Like, the wheels aren't so loose, and hopefully your alignment's been set correct, and so it's not going to just veer off the road. So you have to send a text or three. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, do some FaceTiming, whatever. But, you know, you can, you can for the most part, um, 
keep it straight. Flying a plane is actually a lot like that. You don't fly a plane in the way that, um, you know, sort of cartoon characters do it, where they're like holding onto a yoke and pulling on it, pushing on it, and all that kind of stuff. It's really a lot of, um, yeah, maybe that's how fighter pilots have to do it for all of the things that they're doing aerobatically. But when you're flying the way that I fly, or that really any sort of, you know, private pilot flies, um, it's really about like get configured the way that you want to fly and make that like the new center. And then, so it's like when you take off from the runway, you're pulling back on the yoke and you're, you're applying a lot of pressure, but you have this little wheel that allows you to trim out the yoke so you can return it back to center, but still be pointed up the way that you're going. And, you know, for as long as I don't change anything, the plane's going to continue to climb at that pace and that angle and everything else. If I pull power out, the nose is going to want to go down because I'm going slower and now I got to like retrim the plane, but you don't want to, you know, fly the plane by muscle. It's really about like nuance. So when you're in the air and you're wanting to shoot photos, um, you use that to your benefit. So it's, it's easy to kind of grab a quick little camera and, you know, punch out a couple shots um, without even having to take your hand off the yoke. Um, in other instances, though, you have autopilot. So hit autopilot, say, keep flying straight and level in this direction, and it's going to keep doing that. Um, I used flight control or um, air traffic control as like kind of a safety mechanism. So I would call it out and say, hey, this is what I'm doing can you guys pay attention to my area? And if they saw other planes or anything else going on in the area, they'd know to say, hey, 39 Bravo, Bravo, just, you know, FYI, pay attention to this, you know? And so I would just kind of stay out of it. And I would just, I'd fly the plane until somebody went away or whatever, so. And in the digital world, you know what you're getting. For the most part. I mean, you know, a lot of the, I had two cameras. I had a really big medium format camera that made it easy for me to shoot really high resolution, nice crisp stuff. And then I had a smaller rangefinder Fuji um, that I could grab. And I honestly don't even really need to look into it. I can kind of just grab it and either stick it out the window or look in the direction um, and click on the screen on the back and kind of get a live view and just really quickly eyeball what I'm doing. But, um, you know, people think that I shot 44,000 like individual images. It's really that's the size of the large like unedited body. And then from there, I really had to go in and tighten it up because you've got some images that you know, you can't use or kind of abstract or out of focus or whatever. But the majority of it is really like, you know, GoPro images shooting a bunch. And then, um, you know, I'd see something interesting and shoot it like that. There's a depth to these that the average drone photo doesn't have. Yeah. What's the difference? Even though you're flying the plane, mm -hmm. you're high up, there is a difference. I would say part of its height. Like there are some images like you just can't get with a drone legally uh or without putting other people in danger um you know i'm like i i like drones i think they're interesting they're cool my concern with it is that like there's a very delicate dance that's happening above 500 feet and well there's that airport that was shut down recently. yeah exactly yeah. and so you know i mean planes have been dangerously disabled or you know like i saw a video the other day of a small cessna hit a bird and the entire windscreen punched through so now you're flying 120 knots with just wind blowing in your face and glass and, and whatever. So now take that bird, this organic thing, and turn it into like a metal thing with six spinning propellers. Like that's a really dangerous, you know, combination. So I'm actually all for drones and all that stuff. I'm just for education of it. But I I think that like until until there's education, they're not gonna be able to get as high. And the FAA is not going to let them do some of the stuff that I did. Um, but on top of that, I think that some of it's just like if you're flying a drone, you have to know that whatever it is that you're trying to photograph is really interesting. And you're going to go there and, you know, there's a limitation to how far away you can be. I was just kind of driving around, 
You know, I mean, like I got up in the air, I created a, a structure. I said, I'm going to fly around the state. This is going to be the, the system. I'm not going to fly more than 50 or 40 miles in from the border. And I'm going to try to stay between these altitudes. And that's going to just kind of be this, the vehicle for the story. Um, and so I think that that's really what makes it unique. It's like, it's not so high that it's similar to what you see at 30,000 feet when you're flying at commercial, but it's not so low that like the, you know, guy or girl that bought a, a GoPro at, at or, or um, DJI at Best Buy can do what I did, you know? Even if you take out the like the altitude piece of it, like the camera and the, you know, I was a photographer for a long time, so it's gonna be a little different in terms of what I end up with as a um, finished product. Did you know that this Texas Monthly assignment would turn into a book, turn into a museum exhibit? How, when did that become clear? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I always figured that there would probably be some extension of it. Um, but at the end of the day, like, it really was just a stupid idea that I had to, you know, going back to your question about being Texan, um, you know, this this woman, Amelia Earhart, who was named after the the original, was flying her own flight around the world. And I just jokingly told my buddy Peter, like, what if I did that, but around Texas? And I called that the flight around the world. Like, that was the... Because that'd be really Texas. That, that'd be the most Texan thing ever. And so, um, so that was really where it came from. And at that point, it was just, I was looking for an excuse to fly, period. You know, no political statement, no major, like, thing that I was looking for. Um, it was just, I wanted an excuse to fly. And so this gave it to me. Um, and it was just a... I was starting to come out of my career as a photographer and really focus on this other business. And so this is one sort of big personal project that I could kind of put my stamp on that career and say, like, if I don't do anything else again, like, I'm going to be really happy with the body of work that I've generated, you know? Is there a potential follow-up? I mean, did you learn something in this that then says, well, what if I did this? I mean, I think, you know, the the main reason I, I got out of photography was just it, it's a boom and bust industry. You know, it's it's like advertising. And um, I enjoyed it, um, but I, I also was really interested in, in being able to be at home with my, my kiddos and, and that kind of thing. And so if I go back into it at this stage, it's really going to be more a product of, like, I just have a personal interest in shooting. But, you know, I get if I, I've gotten a lot of questions like, what what would it be like if you shot all of South Texas? Like, could you figure out how to do that? Like, I could totally just go to an area and shoot it. Um, I think the question I've always felt like if you're going to tell a story, make sure it's got some structure. Yeah, and so parameters of some kind. Yeah, and so like if I were to do a follow up, I'd love to do it as like a cohesive body where we cover sort of the main regions of the state, um, and and make it sort of a collective thing. Um, but uh, but right now, I don't have anything on the agenda. It's mostly just um, honestly, there's just still so much from that project that hasn't even been seen. You know, the magazine published, I think the first time, like 16 or 17 images, like that's what we could fit. And then even after that, um, when it turned into a book, it's 150 photos, you know, the museum exhibit is like a little bit more than that. So there's still a lot that hasn't been seen. Um, you know, I don't think that I'm going to force feed everybody the, the, the content for the next like five or 10 years, but I, I do think that there's just, there are other versions or other sort of takes on it that I, I still want to kind of pursue. In portraiture, which you did for a while as a photographer, it's about the lines in a face. It's mm -hmm. about the story mm -hmm. that something like wrinkles can show or uh, the creases in a shirt or a belt buckle or whatever. Mm -hmm. Is there a landscape equivalent? I, I've always just felt like photography in general is more of just, uh, I mean, it is, it's exactly what it comes across as, which is just like a snapshot in time. And so... 
for aerial photography, it's kind of that. Like that's what it was to me was to just to be in the air at that moment that like the sun was cutting through this beautiful thunderstorm and you know, it's like we we understand and we know the beauty that we see at the ground level and 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 actually I I can actually point something uh, out from when I was training, I remember on a really gloomy day, like, you know, when, you, when you're a private pilot, like, you're not allowed to just, like, punch through clouds. Like, it's, you have to have an instrument rating and all this kind of stuff. And so there was one day we were going to go train, and, and my instructor said, well, we could go train. Like, he's uh, he was obviously in, instrument rated. So he's like, why don't we go fly somewhere that um, that is, like, you know, really nice and we don't have to deal with all this weather and stuff. So he flew me through, like, a really low overcast day. It was super gloomy, kind of hazy and stuff. Um, and you got through it, and there was just this crazy, it was like a... Oreo cookie almost of like layers um, where we punched through the one that was making it super gloomy on the ground. And then suddenly it was like this beautiful blue sky with all these other sort of like broken layers above that you just don't see from the ground. So like we as ground dwelling people only have one version of beauty really at any given moment. And so the aerial piece for me is like, what are the other beauties that are happening above you and like around you that you might not get to see? You know, and and like how does the light cutting through a bunch of clouds on the sunset or like on the horizon play out when you're looking directly down on the area that you live? You know, like you don't even see that. We freak out about a beautiful, you know, sunset and the sky turning red. But that like kind of happens every day already, but you just don't see it because of your perspective. And so that that to me is that like the wrinkles on a face. It's like just being able to like take something that's already happening and looking at it slightly differently. The idea that just popped into my head is you Photoshop in a Whataburger mm-hmm. into many of these shots. Oh, yeah. They, they would sell. They would sell a, a ton. Yeah. I think that, yeah. What connects, and, and you wrote the, y'all, the definitive guide to being a Texan. Yeah. What connects Whataburger, H-E-B, Bucky's, all these things, that mm-hmm. pe- these businesses that people are nuts about, almost in a unnaturally bonkers kind of way Mm -hmm. and it's not just that they're only in texas or is it i I honestly think that at its core it's about values like you know we started the conversation kind of talking about this concept of like what makes it unique like if you go to southwest airlines and you talk to any number of people you're going to find quiet person quiet people you're going to find loud people like obnoxious you know shy whatever like it's going to run the gamut what is unique and what makes that company beautiful is like a unique or a commonly shared view on life values. And those people have cho- made a decision to work at an organization aligned around those core values. And I think that that's kind of, in a way, what makes really all of the companies that people freak out about in Texas unique is that, um, you know, it's like, I was just having this conversation yesterday about HEB, like how unreal it is that they just give so much back. Like it's not a bottom line question. It's not, it's nothing. It's just, this is the right thing to do. And maybe it's a part of the Texan culture and the Texan mystique. Maybe it's part of what, who we are to know or to think that we should like look out for one another. Whatever it is or whatever it means to everybody individually to be Texan, I think to some extent bleeds off and has contributed to some of these companies that believe that too. And, you know, it's like when you see that other person in the crowd 
or when you're in Switzerland and you see someone wearing that long sleeve shirt and you're like, I'm going to help them out. I think that that's what that is. It's like we, we as Texans all believe a thing and you can ask any, anybody and they're all, they're all going to tell you something slightly different, but I, I, I would imagine that a lot of it is, is, is common, both between some of these companies and, and just really what people believe, like, what are the core values of Texas? Um, and because, yeah, I mean like, it, no, Whataburger's in like 10 States. Um, you know, there are all these companies that are like very uniquely Texan, but have locations in other places, you know, the passion level may be different in other places, but I think that it, it, it really is kind of a, uh, it's just like, we take care of our own, you know, like the, the, the Springsteen song kind of concept of just looking out for Texans. Because yeah, one of the things I ask guests often is to connect the dots between Dan Rather, Lance Armstrong, Lyle mm. Lovett, mm-hmm. Ricky Williams. You know, just a diverse group of legendary Texans mm-hmm. who don't seem on the surface to have much in common except they're from Texas. Right. But there is an aesthetic, a work ethic, a mm-hmm. there is something that's well, informed but that, by that to me is Texas in re- each of these people. Yeah, that to me is the regionalism. I think that that's what is so cool. Like, it's not a... It's not even really a, a meme or, or like an exaggeration. When someone visits from other states, especially like from the Northeast or something like that, their first comment is like, I can't believe how, every, how nice everybody is. You know, so like all of those differences are what make those, like we still go visit the Northeast. We go visit Chicago or New Orleans or whatever. Like those differences are what I think are so cool. And honestly, it should be embraced. Like for as much as we joke about like the Oklahoma or California thing, like, you know, over time, culture changes and like it develops and it evolves. Um, you know, we I was kind of joking around about the fact that like, you know, the the statistics about how many people in Texas are moving to urban areas are just you know it's boggling, right? Like so many people are leaving small towns. So like to me, it's really no surprise that green and like uh, Magnolia uh, Market in Waco are like busting at the seams with with business because everybody wants to go play small town Texas, you know, like that's what we do because we, we all still find that to be what's kind of like, um, charming about the state. And, and so we've all agreed, like that is kind of the Texas experience. It's, it's what's cool about Fredericksburg or Bernie or all these other little small towns. And, and I think that that's to be embraced. Like, you know, yeah, cool. We're all living in cities cause that's more convenient. We don't all need to live in agricultural areas, whatever. Like the, the culture of Texas is going to change. It's going to ebb and flow. It's absolutely like changed since the early, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. Like it's going to evolve over time, but it's okay if that happens because as long as the core values of, of the state are the same, like it's still going to be uniquely Texan, you know. And over time, we're going to be pushed back into those small towns or, or by yeah. rising prices in the cities. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. It's like I mean, it, it's not like this is the first time people have ever lived in cities. You know, I mean, this happened, a lot, you know, decades ago. And so you shift back and forth. People's tastes change. Um, it's okay. You know, it, it really, in my opinion, is okay. Uh, as long as you don't forget who you are or where you came from. Um, I just, again, it's like, I just like wearing cowboy boots. People kind of look at me crazy. They're like, you wear boots literally every day. Like, how's your back not hurt? I'm like, how do your, how's your back not hurt wearing tennis shoes every day? You know, but that's just what I like. And I think that that's just kind of how Texans are. It's like, this is just how we like to live. Um, you know, and, and being accommodating of this, as long as you got the core values, like you're good, you know. The best-selling T-shirt ever for you folks is what? 
Uh, the Ain't Texas shirt. Um, really? Yeah. And we've sold it in a lot of and different versions. And the phrase versions. just means... Well, it's just, again, like, you can go anywhere in this world, and it can be beautiful, as beautiful or as great as it is, but it still ain't Texas, you know? And that that was, it was one of our earliest jokes on Twitter that just kind of took off. And so that that's really, that design is just the epitome of that, uh, or epitomization of that, like, concept. Um, Best idea for a shirt that flopped was hmm. what? Ooh, that's a good, a good one. Um, well, you know... Uh, we we I've got a I've got one shirt. Um, Textdot w- was not too happy with us. They they reached out to it. It was super early in our career, uh, or in the business. We we made a shirt that just said like "Don't mess with Texas women," and it was like drawn out in this little heart. A friend of mine had come up with the idea, and um, and so we we printed it, and um, I just could not. I mean, I, I we were able to sell a couple versions of it, but there there was this one color combination that I figured like because it's Valentine's Day, a white and red shirt would sell. We could not get rid of those stupid shirts. Like I th- this has been like five years, and I still have some of them. Hmm. And uh, and then shortly thereafter, we got a cease and desist from TechDot, which you know I understood, and we we stopped selling it. But you know we've gotten better at being able to discern what's not going to sell and what is. Uh, but yeah, it's the, you know these days the one that's been selling really well is we have this one shirt that says um, we we took a keychain that we designed that looks like a hotel style keychain. It says if found, return to Texas. And we made it into a shirt, and that one's just been wildly popular. And I think people just kind of joke around about the idea of, like, well, if I die somewhere, I want them to know where to take the body, you know? So, uh, but, yeah. If there's something that's going to dramatically affect the way I order something online and it gets delivered to me in the Mm. next five years, it's what? Is it drones? Is it Mm. autonomous cars? As somebody who fulfills orders from online, what's the thing that's going to be the big game changer? You know, I think it's enough people who are frustrated with the online sales process owning stores. Um, what's re- been really fun for me since we work with, you know, we work with Tacovis Boots and Howard Brothers and Austin City Limits, all these different brands. Um, and a lot of those people who run these organizations that that then have us handle their logistics, like they're they're in part working with us because we're just as annoyed and frustrated with how kind of like you know archaic some of the online sales or online uh, buying has has become over the last you know 10 years or whatever and so it's really fun i think seeing you know people who were sort of former consumers become now the business leaders who are really driving the change and so yeah like amazon's got their like imprint you know it's very clear that what they're doing is changing a lot of what's happening but I really think that in a big way, the thing that is becoming way more appreciated by people is like the kind of personal touch that they get out of their brand experiences when they buy online. And so it's the fact that like the store salesperson doesn't have to interact with the customer like constantly and be exhausted by that, I think in a way almost preserves the mutual like love that the customer can have with the brand and they don't have to just like you know ruin that because one person's having a bad day and so it's really fun seeing all the the merchants that we work with and you know Haller Brothers coming up with ideas on how to make you know the products that get into their customers hands like feel like it came you know it's like this is still the CEO is giving you this you know like Chase is still putting this in or, or you know Paul is like putting this boot into this box like that that feeling that you're able to do like you can take almost like human emotion or human interaction and like make it into a system and like you know ship it out to people and that, that to me is what's really fun even though behind the scenes you've got a guy who open and closes 
boxes. Even though that guy's in the but really likes his job. But he loves his job, and that's why you know it's like um, we uh, are one of our number one core values at our company is um, I don't think I can say it on 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 the air, but it's, you can uh, give a shit, you know, and um, that it, it's like it, it's pervasive at our company. And it's not just give a shit about me or my company. It's give a shit about every co- company that we work with, because at the, the the origin of those companies was a story just like ours. And so we need to own that in the same way that they do. And uh, and you know, so I, I you know I think a lot of the customers that that we ship to, hopefully feel that on on the receiving end of, of those orders. And the guy who opens and closes boxes for a living. He's in line to do what next? Something though, right? You know, he's, that's how he, it works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like looking to, you know, hopefully develop his career. Um, he uh, he was at um, he had spent some time, in, or he just grad, or was soon to graduate from UT, but had been working at the athletics department. And a friend of his said, "Dude, this place is great. You got to come work here." And came on board. So hopefully, he'll be with us for a while. All right, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Texas from Above runs through June 16th at the Bullock Texas State History Museum in Austin, and A Mile Above Texas is available from your favorite bookseller. For all else, there's TexasHumor.com. Meanwhile, our thanks again to Frost Bank, who know life can be stressful. But a recent study from Frost Bank points to one way that we can battle the stress in our lives, optimism. According to the research, optimists live longer, experience less stress, and are seven times more likely to have better financial health. View the data at texasmonthly.com slash optimismresearch. You'll also find our just released February issue at texasmonthly.com. It's a collection of love letters to Texas. We'd love it if you'd consider subscribing to our show, leaving a comment, or rating it wherever you found us, and maybe even telling a friend. I'm Andy Langer, working with producer Brian Standifer. Thanks for being here, and thanks in advance for coming back next week.